I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. Landing. All right. We're live. Um, LinkedIn. Hello. Facebook. Hello. Twitter. Hello. Not YouTube. I mean, YouTube jail, guys. But we'll get out. We'll get out soon. It's like when you play Monopoly, you get stuck in jail. You miss a few turns. Whatever. I had to train some staff this week anyway, so it was a great week to be YouTube jail. But Robert Goldman, he is, you know, he's like the main guy I wanted on this episode because, you know, I'm frustrated. And I think um, not just for site owners, but coordinators, because I'm in the unique situation where I'm actually a site owner that's a coordinator right now. I'm not always in that role. But I'm back in that role out of necessity because of what you guys are reading. Clink Research is booming. And because of the opportunity, like I have new staff and in order for us to grow, I got to train them the way I am, basically. And so I'm in the trenches. So I'm dealing with study directors, project managers. What I've learned, Robert, I'm bypassing the CRAs and going straight to like you. Or you're, you're the version of you for whatever study I'm on. Like the top, I'm going to the top and I'm venting my frustrations and I'm telling them like, I hope you don't mind this feedback, but I'm in a unique situation where I'm the coordinator and the site owner, so I don't fear getting fired because I'm not going <laughs> to fire myself. And I'm going to give you honest feedback that I think a lot of coordinators have. And then I just go through like the laundry list of what's wrong with their study. And I'm like, at the end of the day, it's my fault. I accepted this study. Right. I agree. But we're doing a disservice to these patients and to your indication. And I don't think the people organizing your trial even understand like how it's uh, impacting in Rome. And I thought, what a better guest than Robert Goldman to come on. Well, I appreciate that, Dan. And, um, you know, hello to the Guru Nation. It's always a pleasure to be here. Let me ask you a question, though, out of my own curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Why are you bypassing this? There's reasons you're bypassing the CRA. Yeah, I love let's, my series too. Let's talk about that real quick. Okay. Because right? you're, you're not the first one that I have heard or actually bypassed the CRA. I have, I have study directors, I'm sorry, site directors, site owners, 
who do the same thing, bypass not only the CRA, but come directly to the escalation point as a sponsor representative. Like, can we, can we talk <laughs> sorry about we that for that. a minute? Sorry no, no, no. Do it, it, don't be, no, no, actually don't be sorry. It, it's, it's the most beneficial feedback that I can get because, you know, you talk to your CRA, the CRA talks to the clinical lead, the clinical lead talks to the PM, the PM talks to the PD, and then the PD from the CRO contacts me. Now it's, yeah, I five jump people, all the, I jump you know, it's five the... people removed and I hear a story when I, by the time I call you back, Dan, right. Pretend mm-hmm. we went through that, mm-hmm. that chain of, of, of discussion. By the time I call you back, you're like, what are you talking about? That's mm-hmm. not what I said. Those are not my concerns. So why do we, why, why are people like you working in the capacity you're working? Why do you skip that chain of command? and go directly to the top person versus funneling it through your CRA. Is it a lack of trust? You just said you love your mm-hmm. CRAs. What is it? It's not a lack of trust. And first of all, my coordinators would never have the courage to do that. They're brand new. They didn't want to get fired. Sure. And most coordinators out there, so the ones calling you are people comfortable enough to do it. So you're probably getting the most honest feedback or whatever they're telling you like from them. I do it for the same reason when there's something urgent at a sponsor level and they're not getting the answers they need, why they call the, the PI at a site. You don't just call PI whenever. But when you've reached your boiling point and you're like, this, I'm not getting what I need, I know who to call. Like The buck has to stop somewhere. right? And at your study, it's you. At other studies, I know who, the, <laughs> I know who these people are now. <laughs> And that's why. It's the same reason. Like, I'm sick of getting... I love our series, all of them so far. I'm sick of getting... They're they're just trying to keep their job. I'm sick of getting boilerplate answers, you know. Well, this is how it's done. This is... I'm going in there like, why is it done this way? Why can't you make an exception? This... the, The fact that you're making me jump through all these hoops is costing you more patience. Because... I mean, bottom line, study director, they need accrual. So you're telling me you'd rather me go through all your crap just to do the right naming conventions and you're okay with, like, 20% less subjects being random? If you're okay with that, that's fine. But they're not. They're not okay with that. And the CRAs, the PMs, they don't really care about that. But I know where the buck stops with you. Like, you're getting pressured for those things. So when you say those magic words, and it really is, like, we both have aligned incentives. We're, I'm trying to randomize as many patients as we can, and you want me to randomize as many questions or as many patients as we can. I think all those middle people in between don't necessarily have those same objectives. No, they don't. And it's funny. I was talking to our, our VP of RA and QA today um, exactly about this, about this, right? No skin in the game. You know, what's the incentive for those folks to go out of their way to escalate and discuss the problems that you bring up, which are real, Dan, right? Those are real, real problems, Um, you know, and it's not it's not about, um, you know, it's about. And this is where I bring back to like, this is why sites need to have a voice in the game, right? Sites need to be coming to roundtables. Sponsors, CROs need to be hosting these discussions. So 
they hear you voice a concern at a round table, maybe the other guy is experiencing the same thing but doesn't have the courage to call you for the exact same reason. You're you're in a no lose situation, right? You're you, you're either going to win or you're going to lose. And guess what? You're you have yourself to blame, right? You're the site owner. You're acting as coordinator. And what are they going to do to you? Not give you another study? Okay, there's another 25 opportunities down That's the pipeline. Right. You right? see underneath clinical research. And yeah, like I'm, I'm telling you. You know, so it it's it's quite it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that, you know, we don't give the voice where it's needed. But on the other hand, I do want you to know something like, look, man, when you have to reach out to somebody so that your voice is heard, um, you know, that's and if that's what it takes. I mean, you're trying to add the fruit, right? You're, you're, you're giving them what they want. I mean, to slow things up and to create hiccups. And delay unnecessarily and to delay the enrollment and to sacrifice additional patients for the sake of all this rigmarole that they put you through. Um, I don't know whose interest is it serving. I I mean, again, I'm going back to patient centricity. Are you doing this because you're trying to help the patients or are you doing this (laughs) just, you know, what is it, Dan? Is it is it regulatory oversight that's just becoming overbearing? Is it? I mean, is this complexity really necessary? I can tell you from my interactions with um, the agency, with you know our SPA, our our NDA filings, um, our IND, our fast track designation. You know, it's there's a lot to it, but there's also it doesn't have to be this difficult, man. It really doesn't, you know. No, but it is though, and the reason. So I understand the regulatory because I kind of made it like a one minute TikTok yesterday that I posted on LinkedIn, just explaining some of, I have a few studies like this, but one in particular, all the hoops we got to jump through just to get a screening visit done. I mean, there's like 10 tubes of blood. They go to like three different places. You have to fill out customs to go internationally. FedEx called for who knows what. So I don't think they got the labs. I still don't know why. Patients going to, hates getting blood drawn. They're going to have to come back at 10 more tubes. So, Part of it's regulatory, I get it, because some of the comments were saying, well, yeah, as somebody who writes these protocols, like, we get frustrated too, but it's regulatory. I get that. You get that more than I do. But some of it's also selfishness on the part of the sponsor for trying to jam so much stuff into one protocol so that they can do one study instead of, like, three. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I can't disagree with you. I mean, it, it, it's... There's there's various reasons, you know, strategically on why we we do that, you know, arguably, um, you know, you can say that about a lot of protocols, but I agree with you, you know, the, the, the sites aren't always privy, like Dan, if I were to say to you, out of all the studies you're, you're conducting, do you know what the main indication of the label that trial is trying to seek approval for? Like, do you know what that label is going to say? For the diagnosis or what? No, I'm talking for for once. So once the sponsor submits the NDA for approval, are you privy to what the label for the indication of that drug is going to be? No. <laughs> That's no. my point. Definitely like, not. How, how, like, Guru Nation, chime, that is ridiculous. That mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And so the reason you don't know that 
is because then if you did know that, you would really question all of the other stuff that sponsors jam pack <laughs> into a study because then you're like, wait a minute, you're going for this label and for this approval. However, you're doing A, B, C, and D, secondary objectives, exploratory mm. objectives. Why are you doing all of this extra work and the reason for that, Dan? I'm just going to give you some insight here and mm -hmm. give Guru Nation some insight. The reason we do that is because I don't want to use the word killing two birds with one stone, but if you're already doing something and you can add an additional procedure or step that will enable me to have information on whether or not I need to establish or open a new IND for another objective that I may or may not meet. That's why we jam pack so many things into yeah. a single protocol, because then it gives us strategic direction and planning in which direction we can now move towards. Yeah, right? no, I get the rationale, but wouldn't like at some point there's a trade off between the value add you get from that, which I, I mean, I'm perfectly okay with that idea and that strategy and it's a free market, like you can do whatever you want. In theory, we don't have to take those studies. We're going to get to that part next, but isn't there like from a strategic level, this is why they hire people like you, right? Okay, we can add that, we get value add, maybe we get insight into new indications, new avenues to pursue. But at what point, if it impacts site's ability to do the trial well, does it no longer have value add? Like, there is an inflection point to where it backfires, and sites that were excited about enrolling in your study say, you know what, screw it especially right now clinical research is booming, we'll just wait for this next study. Because you're, you're also, that's the risk, right? Like, you're, you're absolutely right, you know, and I've actually seen many protocols backfire, right, where you are failing to prioritize your primary endpoint and you've added all this extra work that frustrates sites, adds undue burden to subjects, brings them back in more often than they need to be, you know, adds more time to your staff, more time for you filling out crazy forms and portals and transmitting these and that, you know, so you're, you're absolutely right. And you know what that infliction point is all really depends on what the sponsor's objectives are, right? Very different dynamic for a privately funded biotech versus a publicly traded biotech. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. I think, personally, we need to go back to the basics. Like, t remove all of these hurdles, these extra exploratory objectives. I showed you objectives. just a snippet of our hurdle. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, Dan, I couldn't believe it, man. When I mean, like, honestly, that, that to me, <laughs> you need almost, like, another degree and, and weeks, months, maybe even years of training to even understand the terminology in that form that you, mm -hmm. that we talked mm -hmm. about. Right. Mm -hmm. So the average person, even with somebody with a medical background may not be able to complete that. And they expect, you know, you to, to fill out that, that unnecessary, like, first of all, what does that form have to do with anything with the indication in which the studies around, right? 
the diagnosis of that patient, <laughs> it, it's like it's like apples and oranges. It has nothing to do with it, right? No, I know. So that's why it's so frustrating. And it's I, not and even I mean, worth my time to give it to a new staff to train them because that has no use in other trials. Like, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not even worth like giving it to someone else to train them on the macro concepts of research. It has nothing. It does no value there either. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do, you know, in that particular case that we're talking about right now, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, again, regulatory requirements, safety requirements, mm-hmm. um, not so much, uh, you know, an exploratory objective. But I think if we go back to the basics and start designing protocols around the primary endpoint and sponsors are more clear about what their intended label is going to say, right? Then you quickly realize how much fluff is in the schedule of events, schedule of assessments, how many extra things you're putting the patient through that are really, really unnecessary, right? For, for, for the sake of the trial to bring a therapy to market, that could potentially impact a patient's life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the reason for that, again, Dan, is strictly financially based because it costs a whole lot more money to do another study when you could potentially incorporate it into the current study. So again, yes. people, people are mad at the wrong people, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to... Dr. Daniel Fox um, from the CRPN network. Shout out to him. Love that um, dude. Oh, he's great. He, he's he's on a mission, man. You know, but what him and I were talking about was, um, you know, the the cost of doing the situation in which you just explained. You know that that big long form, right? But the value add is so minimal, and the return on investment is so minimal that if we just focused on the primary endpoint to bring the therapy to where it needs to be, you would, you would speed up timelines exponentially. Right. So there, but there must be, these are not dumb people. Like they know what they're doing. Of course not. Of course not. But again, it's all, it's all financially based, right? Dan, look, 50%. Okay, and anybody who disagrees with me, put your comment below and and we can talk about this. I can show redacted examples. 50% of study budgets go to where, Dan? CRO. CRO. Yeah. 50%. So I I actually did a calculation today with Daniel Fox and I showed him something. Okay. And literally, the CRO direct labor fees over the lifetime of a study are more money than the investigator grant reimbursements over the lifetime of a study. Okay? So you're telling me, yeah, like truly, like, you know, these are bona fide things, you know, and and again, I'll show you redacted examples of things like this. Okay? Does CRO help sponsor with? Regulatory affairs, writing writing the protocol, um, getting it, it through regulatory. 
It depends. Like, you know, typically you tap into a CRO to get, you know, medical, a medical writer to produce the original, you know, the first iteration of a protocol, right? Okay. But then whether, then whether or not, a, you know, whether or not um, additional, you know, they don't always submit to the regulatory agency on your behalf. Because if the agency comes back and they have feedback on your protocol design, your method, your sample size, a biostats portion, obviously the SAP has to be submitted separately. You know, these are adjustments that can really be made internally. So you don't have to engage a CRO. Some, some sponsors do use CROs for regulatory submissions, but, you know, I work for a small biotech and we, we don't use CROs for regulatory submissions. We have a third-party consultant company who handles all of our FDA submissions, you know? So then why do you guys – well, let's get into, like, empowering sponsor – like, tech. I have a theory I want to get to, but I also want to address, like – and I want to get your thoughts on this uh, frame of of thought, school of thought, I guess. People will say, well, Dan – Sponsor can do whatever they want. It's up to the sites. Ultimately, you, Dan, you're in charge of deciding what study you're going to do. So it's on you that you decided to do that study. And the answer is yes, it is. <laughs> but let me break it down, like how it works. I look at the indication. I I actually, call me crazy, but I I think about the patients first. Like, what I see when I see a new study, indication, all right, do we have these patients in our community? Yes. Is this something we need in our community? Yes. Do we have a track record of getting these kind of patients? Yes. One of the last things I look at is, like, the operations of, like, okay, well, they're going to have to do this assessment, then this one, then that one. I'm, I should, but even if you do look at those things, it's not the same as doing it because every vendor every sponsor has different vendors that they use different portals some are easier than others you don't know how difficult it is going to be to actually do those until you actually do something i mean you could like abstract it in your mind like okay this is the labs this is how they're done okay that's fine uh eight tubes ten tubes okay that's doable until you look at the nitty-gritty well yeah eight tubes 16 aliquots three different places it's going. And by the way, one of them's international. You got to fill out customs every time. And FedEx is going to give you a hard time every time you go there because it's international and they don't like that. So how can I abstract that much in my mind when I'm thinking about what study I'm going to take on? Should I then put the patients as a back burner? Like, let me look at the operations first. And then even then, okay, how, how can I actually know without doing it yeah well you know look i appreciate that you put the patients first right and is it something you need in the community do you have this you know the indication uh with the patients with this indication is the drug and you know what I, i mean honestly for me i think it's more prudent to put put the reality of the logistical operations of conducting the visit in in perspective i mean you know you you, you're very experienced in this right and maybe that's a lesson learned because you know i always tell my you know counterparts and and ceros that i work with i'm just like listen if this was your loved one 
would this would this be acceptable to you? Mm-hmm. You know, and so my my point is, you know, all the steps you take are absolutely fine, but it's time to take that SOE out and say, okay, patient's gonna like how many hours is this patient gonna be here on day one? How many hours is this patient gonna have to dedicate to this study over the next month, right? And then you might quickly say, wow, you know, the, no, the, the, this is crazy. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I can't ask somebody to do this. This just isn't even feasible, right? <laughs> so, so yeah. then you quickly realize, like, oh my, you know, oh, now I got to ship blood, and then, and then forget it. You know, the patient comes first, obviously, but then yeah. Dan comes next, right? And Dan's staff and your business come next. You know, it's it's now now you know now you realize, okay, I got to ship blood internationally. Which, by the way you shouldn't be the sponsor. Whoever's doing this to you should not be doing that. You should be shipping all samples to the central lab and the central lab should be distributing to the bioanalytical lab. I'm assuming it's for a PK or for some bioanalytical marker. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's for a bioanalytical (laughs) marker that only a specialty lab in Europe can, can actually analyze. But the fact that they're asking sites to, to ship directly to that specialty lab, that's a logistical, that that's just, stupid i'm gonna call it what it is right i've been in that situation many times but i've always set it up logistically where again ease the burden on the site you guys have a lot going on you're our partners right Mm -hmm. you should be sending those doc those, those samples to a central facility and the central facility should distribute those in the correct you know conditions shipping conditions to those places in batches Number one, it's more feasible for the sponsor. What are they analyzing these upon receipt? You know, like, like what is the stability? Obviously, there's a lot of variables that go along with how those samples reach the international destination. But, but for Pete's sake, man, you know, like why? So, so at the end of the day, look at all these confounding variables, right? Yeah. Patient, you know, how much blood the patient's taking. Obviously, this is all outlined in the consent, but the patient doesn't understand that necessarily unless you really, really take the time to explain it, which I'm sure you do. But then, you know, you're up against patient satisfaction. You're up against sponsor satisfaction. You're up against site satisfaction. And the goal, and and Dan, look, you start out with a benevolent agenda. You're doing this out of the goodness of your heart. You want to make a difference. You want to bring options to your community. You want to help people. But you really got to sit down with the details and and put yourself in the patient's shoes and say, what is my day going to look like, right? Because, you know, how can you ask a patient to come dedicate five hours on day one, right? Two lab draws, four imaging, an eye exam, a foot exam, (laughs) a rectal exam, a fecal sample, And it's like, oh my god, colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Yeah, we talked. uh, We remember we talked. uh, Yeah, yeah, colonoscopy. I mean, go get him. Go give him an MRI at the same time. Let's do an EEG. Oh, and while you're at it, get a liver biopsy. No biggie. Yeah, you know, they they throw these things in there. Small little syringe, no problem. But but that that's what I'm trying to say, right? It's like so so just looking at indication whether or not you have those patients. I would put myself in the patient's shoes. Yeah. And walk yeah. and walk yourself through that day. And then on top of it, all the different portals, you know, data entry here, data entry there. Is there a diary? You're, there you're no not diary? privy to all of it, though. Like even at even up till the SIV, like the CRA was warning us like, hey, this is going to be 
the you know this there's some complicated things here and we're like all right well we're gonna make it work you know we're gonna figure out how because you know this indication we have a lot of patients that we couldn't get in the last study so it makes perfect sense to do it here that's what we're thinking about and then when it's actually time to do it we're like wow <laughs> why did we take this study but you know i'm not complaining because i'm glad we have it and there are going to be some patients that benefit out of it but i am complaining at all the other unnecessary hurdles we have to go, jump through just to get somebody randomized and yeah you know i think it's like gone in some in a lot of these cases i mean i don't think studies are getting simpler they're getting more complex and without a um, doubt ultimately it does boil down to the sites being more selective about what they take but you're always going to have some sites saying yes to everything they get yeah i mean i saw you made a post the other day or was it was it or maybe it wasn't you who no it was it was brad actually hmm. He made a post about you know how many sites are are or how what percentage do you decline studies? Yeah. I was reading some of those comments. They're like, oh, we only decline like one percent, two percent. You know, we accept like out of one hundred ninety-eight awards, we only you know refused five or, or something mm -hmm. like silly, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. Clinical research is definitely booming, but but on the other hand. You know, I think this has a lot to do with why, um, you know, there's an overpromise and under delivery of mm -hmm. a lot of the sites because you're not made privy, like you mentioned, to the logistical operations of delivering the study the way it needs to be delivered. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, why did I accept this study? Yeah. You know, and, and you're like, I can't even do this and do well, it. By the time you get access to all the portals, you're already in training mode. Like, yeah. So you already have a contract done. So right. you kind of like, at this point, you're like, okay, now that you actually get to see the portals, you're like, wait a minute. Well, we already signed a contract. Let's make it work. We don't want to look bad to the sponsor of the Sierra at this point. So it's like, we would love to do all the due diligence, kick all the tires. Um, but oftentimes it's easier to just kind of look at the indication, look at like basic basic structure of the operation like okay what assessments are needed can we do them but you don't get it like under the hood until you actually do it that's and that's too late already to say no but dan let me ask you a question would you buy a car at an auction without popping the hood if i knew to honest answer if i knew i could get another car if i don't like that car Yes. <laughs> what, what if it, okay, let, let's rephrase the question. that's the answer what, to research. I can get right. another study oh, if I don't want But what it. if it's a really unique, mm -hmm. rare car that's a collector's item? And it's worth fixing. You know, it's worth working on. So, so to you, okay, but so, so for me, I have a little bit different of a perspective, right? Like I would want to at least pop the hood because what if you get the car and there's no engine in the car? Yeah. Did you think about yeah. that? Yeah. Right? What if the wiring is completely ripped apart from the dashboard? <laughs> yeah. like you know what if what if the what if the what if the catalytic converter is missing because somebody stole it mm -hmm. do you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. so so it's like it, there's a lot yeah. of uncertainties and you've got to pop the hood in a sense since we're talking about this right before you can make a, a real assessment on but whether what if or not you're you looking can at like what if you're looking at like 10 to 20 cars a week and you just can't look at all of them closely you know well, then you need to you need to pick and prioritize and either <laughs> exactly and or or expand your team, Dan. Right? You know exactly. You know, I mean, and then you know that that's the whole thing, and it's it's like you know we have we we it, it's 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 not a there's no perfect solution, 
right? Yeah. Because again, you're you're a site owner and you're looking to, you know, expand and grow your site. You know, you want to bring as many therapies to people in your community as possible, not just in one indication, but multiple indications across multiple genres of medicine, right? You want to be, I, I get it, right? But while you're doing that, you know, it, it takes a keen eye to understand operations and what goes in yep. to actually executing the study successfully, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody, I, I don't think, I, I really don't want to believe that anybody, CRO, sponsor site, has malintention, right? Like nobody's mm. malicious in their intent to like, mm. oh, I'm going to add this in the protocol just to piss off the site. Like that, you that's do have never some the sites, case. Though, like let's, I'm, I know I'm a site advocate, but you do have some sites, I know them, that take on every study they can just to get the startup fee. Like that's a strategy that's like, it's a shady strategy. It doesn't last long, but there's sites that do that. So that's malicious intent. But for the rest, like I agree with you, for like sponsors are not there to make your life miserable at a site, but they're not there to make your life necessarily pleasant either if they can squeeze more juice out of the orange. Well, but, <laughs> but, but you're, you're right. But, but Dan, why are we squeezing more juice out of the orange? A variety of reasons. Well, regulatory is one. So FDA, regulatory. Regulatory is not it. That's the one you can't. There's that's no like debate. You have to. Right. Everyone okay, but understands. but that's a force thing. But yes, there's more of a reason on why we're squeezing the juice investors. out of that orange. And investors. Well, it, it it's really the cost of doing a study, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because again, it, you know, you're right. Investors is part of it, but the cost of conducting a trial. Like we're talking clinical research is booming. Cost of doing research is booming. Skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. That's I why I have all these vendors out here like, hey, I got a solution for this. Somebody's going to message us after this video say, hey, I listen to everything, Robert. Here's a solution for this. Oh, yeah. Startup it, does it's this. guaranteed. <laughs> I, I, I get it all the time. I mean, the biz dev on your channel is hopping, you know, <laughs> it, it used to be where I'd get a, you know, a lot of IMGs asking about my story and a lot of, you know, how to get into the industry and can you, can, can you, you know, have a chat with me? And I, I still mentor a lot of the people that have reached out to me from, from these videos, but now it's biz dev. I have a problem for your solution, <laughs> Robert. I heard what you said, which is fine. We need that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but seriously, Dan, you know, the reason you're, you're trying to squeeze as much as you can out of a single study is truly the cost of development, right? There are, there are a handful of, I don't want to say the word because we're in YouTube jail, right? You're in YouTube jail, but there's only a handful of those kind of companies out there, man, that can afford a $50 million loss. They can afford a hundred mm. million dollar loss. Do you follow me? Yep. We talked about small is the new big. There's never been a time that I can remember in this industry where there's more biotech startups and small cap companies in this space. Yep. Okay. That is the majority now versus the big guys who are like, they're so big that, you know, it, it's just whatever. Like, oh, I lost a hundred million, but you didn't meet the end point. Oh, well, turn the page. Move on to the next one, right? We've already got 25 more compounds in that week that were discovered that are in preclinical and we're just assigning them code numbers. That's not the majority. 
And so a $50 million to $100 million loss on the development of a leading asset is could, could potentially put a company under, right? It's either going to make it or break it. Yeah, make or so break when, we, when we talk about squeezing the, the juice out of the orange, that's why we do it. We do it because you got to get as much information as you can to inform you on the strategy of this asset. Do we open a new IND? Do we do another study? Is there a signal? Is there a exploratory, right? Exploratory. Exploratory. And the exploratory endpoints are what causes you the thorn in your side most of the times, right? (laughs) That like. You know, throw yourself into a cactus, right? I mean, th- that's the unfortunate reality. But again, the the costing, it's the costing, Dan, right? I mean, if I want to start a study because I see a signal based on an exploratory endpoint, yeah, cough up another 50 million. Or, or I could just sneak it into my current study and then I can do an analysis – and then I can, you know, use that data to support another round of investment, you know, series D, series okay. D, series B. Yeah, so I get I mean, it. I mean, that. it's it's financial. They have every incentive financially to, to do that. It, so what's the solution then? Because, I mean, is it to get rid of the CROs? Like, this is where I was headed next. And in these cases, I don't even know if the CROs are to blame. You would know better than me, but... With ereg, esource, all these systems kind of, eventually they're going to all connect, right? Is it going to be theoretically easier for a sponsor to manage their own studies without CROs? Or is the CRO always going to be needed? And if so, for what? Because then we're not going to ever fix this problem. I don't know if it's the CROs to blame, but like maybe well, that's where the, some of the costs come out. You said 50% of the costs are CROs. Dan, I'll just tell you like this. I hope so. <laughs> I hope, hope we can. So. We I hope we can weed them out. Okay, and I spent over. Do sponsors a want to? Do sponsors want to be able to manage sites? Colleagues, or... I colleagues I talk to all all have you know hopes and dreams and ambitions of being able to internalize, um, you know their their own studies because you can control quality, you have a lot more control over turnover, um, and so things what's like keeping that. them from doing it now? It's cost prohibitive, right? And let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I was looking at a, an RFP today, okay, from a CRO. Request for proposal for the That's right. Request for proposal for the conduct of, a, of another pivotal study. I was doing the math between project. Now, I'm just talking two pillars real quickly. Study startup, which includes everything within study startup, investigator grant administration and project management for the life cycle of a study 70 sites 700 patients enrolled okay mm-hmm. five million dollars just between project management and study startup to break oh, it down, I thought you meant for the whole no, study. I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, okay. So just to wow. give Guru Nation a little bit more insight, project management, $3.3 million over the wow. lifetime of the study. Wow. And study startup, including regulatory submissions, $1.4 million. 
So what good is all these PMs if I'm bypassing them back to where we started? Thank you. I'm bypassing all these dudes. So I'm I'm giving you real life metrics. So that's what I'm saying, right? Pay my, like, (laughs) I always tell my, you know, it's funny. I, I, I always say like sometimes in our internal meetings, I'm like, you know, pay me this amount per month and I'll do it for free. Myself, you know, like, yeah. like I'll do it myself. Like what it, it, exactly. Right. So, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions coming in, in the chat and that, um, I would love to get. To oh yeah. Because, there's a bunch, man. Because, because, you know, there, some of them are asking good questions and the one that we just got recently was, um, you know, is it a conflict of interest for the sponsor to monitor their own study? Hey, Pamela, thank you. I just did your video yesterday. It's uploading. On, I mean, YouTube jail, Pamela, but Friday you'll get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's saying, isn't it a conflict of interest for a sponsor to monitor their own study? There was a scandal a few years ago about that, if I'm correct. As far as I'm aware of, no, there's no conflict. Yeah, there's no conflict of interest because, number one, I mean, man, how many large pharmas have their own CRA force? I mean, I can Mm -hmm. think of tons, right? Um, Because, look, everybody's subject to the same audit, you know? Everybody has to abide by the same regulations, you know, CFR, GCP, ICH. And whether or not you're using your own monitors versus, you know, a CRO's monitors, I would argue that it's safer and more beneficial to the patients to be trained by internal people, like somebody who wrote the protocol, right? We are experts on the protocol. I know my protocol is like the back of my hands, you know, and I know the rationale and intent and reason why we wrote it the way we wrote it, right? So, um, you, you know, do, I, I you came over for our SIV. I did personally. I, did. And, yeah, I was there. Was a, in, I was there in the flesh, right? That was a pleasant um, SIV. You know, so so I really think that at the end of the day, you know, our CROs necessary. They're necessary because it's just sometimes cost prohibitive to, you know, like Dan. Think about the infrastructure a biotech would need to to carry out all the things that the CROs do, right? From SOPs to systems, to processes, to work instructions, to quality management systems, to repositories, the technology that's needed, um, the templates, right. the just, I mean, it's, it's really crazy. They already have a, like a bunch it, right? of SOPs for like their drug well, development, GLPs, all that stuff. Well, the big ones do, Dan. Right? the 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 big The big sponsors have that stuff. The small guys, like like company I work for, you know, we, you know, and it's not uncommon for for sponsors. You know, the first question I when I used to work on the CRO side, coming in as a CTM or a project manager, I would say, who's 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 uh, you know whose SOPs are we using, sponsors or ours? That's my first question. My second question is. Whose TMF are we using? Sponsors or ours? 90% of the time, it's we're using our SOPs. We're using our TMF. You know, yeah, there's sponsors out there who have their own TMF for sure. Right. You know, I worked on a break before I left and transitioned from the CRO side to the sponsor side. That particular sponsor, big company, large company, trading for over 150 bucks on the NASDAQ. You know, they have their own. TMF, they were using Viva, 
you know? Shout so they, out to Viva. Shout out to Viva. Thank you, Robert. No, 100%. I had to throw that in there, you know? And and so my, my point is, you know, we, we would use them. But, but, but then again, whose SOPs were they using, Dan? They were using the CRO's SOPs. So what I'm saying is it, it's just a, it's a huge infrastructure build out that's required for sponsors to 100% internalize and conduct their studies from A to Z. You know, I can talk, I mean, I know Axome, they just got an FDA approval. One thing about that company is they do everything in house. Hmm. It's not, it's not, you know, everybody know every, I mean, if you look them up, they, they make it very clear that they do everything in house. They don't use CROs, Dan. You know, so there is an example of some of, of a company that built was built from the ground up with that infrastructure to internalize everything. And, you know, well, because CRO is like an invention. I mean, everything is an invention, but CRO is like literally a middle man between the sponsors who make the investigation product and then the yeah. sites who see the patients. So in theory, you don't need a CRO. Dennis Jillings, from what I understand, invented it, the founder of Quintiles in the 70s, because he saw an opportunity and there was economies of scale. But you and many others are saying we've come to a tipping point where the economies of scale are no longer in the favor of the customer. <laughs> They're in the favor of the CROs because they've become bigger than the sponsors. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, I think it's going to take a lot to change that dynamic because tech though tech it, is the answer supposedly tech is the answer but Dan, why is it why is it so many large large pharmas and i don't want to say any specific names but you know pick your pick don't your name don't get me canceled again man. right Link exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but any all these large pharmas they all contract you heard of this fsp model mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. you know the strategic solutions and you know, there you have this team that's fully dedicated. Like, what what does a fifty thousand headcount global pharma company like? Why do they have to do that? Have you ever asked yourself why? I I don't know the answer. I'm asking you, like like why does why do these large the largest of the largest they have because at their scale, like economies of scale, they're the only ones where the economies of scale still make sense for them because they could afford the best service and the a team more or less right and they're big enough to where they it still makes sense to a startup biotech that's a penny stock and is hoping that some good data takes them to a dollar instead of 10 cents <laughs> right i invest in these companies i play around I love it. Yeah, yeah, no, i'm with you yeah it yeah. doesn't make sense and they give them their d team but the the, like the proportion of service to fee is not equal. Like right. it's deleveraged to where it's completely in the favor of the CRO, who's by the way also publicly traded. And so, yeah, that's why. I mean, in a nutshell, like, and isn't technology a, a uh, isn't technology supposed to be a deflationary force to where as tech gets better, it also gets faster, cheaper? cheaper being the keyword to where it's then a race to the bottom so if tech reaches that inflection point of getting cheaper at the same time as cra's reach the inflection cro's reach the inflection point of getting more expensive 
isn't there at some point going to be a trade-off? Like, hey, we're going this way unless you're one of the big pharma. Dan, you're, you're, you're taking the words out of my mouth, you know, like I, I, you know, you know that I'm, you know, I, I, I talk to some tech companies, you know, that are trying to come up in our space, you know, um, I'll give a shout out to Hiroki and Manchalo from Butterfly Labs. Ah, that's right. Um, like, a lot you of know? people like that. But what, what, what Hiroki and Manchala were like, yo, you know, we talk to a lot of people and they, they say that they don't have the appetite or the budget to invest in tech. Well, guess what? My counter to that statement, it's exactly what I say all the time is, well, look in a work order or an RFP from a CRO and see where you can, whatever that technology is solving you know, now you can take that money from the budget of the CRO and divert it. So the cost, it's cost neutral, right? Because you're going to pay that money either to the CRO or if you invest in a tech that now automates that problem, you know, I'm just taking money from the CRO and I'm diverting it towards the tech. So right. it's, not, it's not an acceptable response to say, we don't have the budget. No, you do have the budget. Just look at the line item, look at the budget grid, look at the scope of services mm -hmm. and find out where that big bucket of money, for example, site feasibility, CDX, CDA execution, contract negotiation, budget negotiation could be in excess of $500,000. If I automate that process by using an SMO, if I automate that process by using one contract for the same site, for example, CRPN, right? <laughs> now I can, yeah, now I can take all that money that I was paying the CRO to waste time negotiating, negotiating back and forth, back and forth. CROs are not incentivized to solve problems. They make money off of people being lazy and doing things over and over and over, delaying the process. I mean, I'm just going to call it like it is, right? They are not incentivized to say, oh, let me speed up your timeline. If yeah, I speed up your timeline. To, then their business dev has to work harder to find a new study uh, well, when sure. that one's over. Well, sure. If I can't charge you $50 million for the study and I can do it for $20 million, now I've got to find more studies and I don't have the bodies to do the work. So I've got a delay. Right? I mean, I'm not saying that again, like, you know, I might get some hate mail here, right? Well, it's oversimplified, <laughs> but you're doing it to prove a point, like an overarching theme. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely overarching, right? I mean, like, th that's my point. You know, it's like you, 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 you look at the budget and where can you move dollars to increase efficiency, right? right? Well, this guy, LinkedIn user, guy or gal, I think this is Daniel Fox. By the way, it's either you, Robert Goldman, when it's LinkedIn user, but for some reason now I know it's not you. So this is Dr. Fox, most likely. Do you think it's possible to pay sites fairly and save sponsors money at the cost of inflated CRO waste? Pulling no punches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I do. I, you know, again, it's it's. You know, I, I don't want to use the, the term Rob Peter to pay Paul, but yeah. Okay, so let's, let's, break, let's make it real simple. I know it's complex. They have SOPs, all the stuff you mentioned. What is it? Take monitoring out of it. 
Can you just put Diana Swanson's uh, comment Diana about Swanson. Robert? Robert is correct up there, oh, please. They should put Thank this like you. flashing on the bottom. <laughs> Robert is correct. I love that. How about this one? Look at this. This is going to cover our faces. Oh, uh, there it is. Big shout yeah. out to Hiroki. And the, yeah, if anyone interested, Butterfly Labs. We're interested in discussing information silos and CRO vendor oversight. I mean,. Yeah, they need to have more oversight of the sponsors. Need to have yeah, more oversight yeah. of their vendors. I think back to where we started this video. Okay, I'm not the. I found your version of who I'm talking to, but they're still at the CRO level. Yeah. Like I haven't found your you at the sponsor level. I'm right. trying to find them because I think if they knew like my frustrations and how it's probably a reflection, a relatively accurate assessment of overall site satisfaction of all their sites they're going to figure out why they're having enrollment issues exactly and everybody's like oh enrollment issues enrollment issues and you have all these startups oh my god how many did we did, did people see at scope i mean there are more recruitment companies out there now than i have ever seen it's so overwhelming i can't even keep track right everybody has this ai driven oh we can speed up if you would just stop <laughs> Stop, 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 nonsense. I'm so with you, Dan. I, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And sponsors are willing to pay for these services. And honestly, I've only personally been burned by many of these very well-known recruitment companies, by the way, way before yeah, these they, new ones that have come suck. out, right? They all, in my experience, you're absolutely right, you know? Okay, so... What I was going to say, and then we're going to get to these questions. You guys have good ones, and this is great. Like, I knew we should do this topic, Robert, because um, here you are, sponsor. Here I am, site. Everyone expects we're going to fight. We're actually, right. we want the same thing. I want more patience in my studies. You want me to have more patience in my studies. And it's all this shit, right, that's in between us achieving our common outcomes and we're gonna need to find out what this shit is all about everyone and, has okay. their handout along the way dan that's the problem i want here <laughs> i want here and then when you ask for you know i mean it, everybody just you know every everyone every handout, every but, and as a side i'm not paying for it but i am paying for it in sweat sweat and tears like and your blood pressure and my blood pressure man thank god for lisinopril <laughs> i went through some clinical trials look robert <laughs> Look, yes, look, man, I want to simplify this, all right? I know you mentioned SOPs, all that stuff, like, why do small sponsors not do all this? Okay, look at all these SOPs. Okay, that you can do that with some uh, some consultants. What is it? Take monitoring out. That's like everybody sees monitoring. What does a CRO actually do, like, that you can't do, even as a small sponsor? So I think, I think date, like, you know, data management's huge. Biostats is huge. You um, think AI you know, can help with that in the future, 10 years? I sure, I, I sure hope so because, right, once you have the SAP, the statistical analysis plan that's been, you know, agreed by the agency, they're looking at that. Um, once you have that agreed upon, like producing like TLFs, like what tables, listings, and figures do you need to demonstrate your primary endpoint in terms of efficacy? So I don't want to get too technical for the audience, but the point is, is that I believe AI can predict and tell you, okay, Robert, here are the top 10 shells or the top 10 
or the the here are, here are eighteen tables, listings, and figures cumulatively that you need to support your top line data. Like it, it's very easy because all a statistician is doing is they're looking at a host of different pillars and categories: safety, demographics, disposition, you know all kinds of different things and they're they're choosing tables listings and figures from those pillars to give you the sponsor the best chance in showing that you have statistical significance in meeting your primary endpoint based on your sample size mm -hmm. ai should absolutely be able to to predict what that is predict that predict but that presently right? they can't so we still use zeros for that so okay, we still what use else? zeros what else? so data so, management biostats medical writing you know the csr okay. the dsur the drug development safety update but medical report. writing why not just hire an independent contractor hey i've been doing medical writing for 30 years like you know dan that's a good question i mean i guess it's just you know managing more people each each vendor each consultant requires their own contract you know, it's just, I, I don't know if I have a good answer to that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. CROs certainly have a lot of value, you know, in the right context. I just think that in my experience now, they're just more machine and robotic than anything. The yeah. critical thinking, the critical thinking and, and problem solving, it's like, don't, you know, it's like as a sponsor representative, I get more problems escalated to me with zero solutions then i get problems with solutions like hey robert here's the problem wow. but here's how we propose to fix it either a you know you're bringing the problem to the table and saying hey how come this wasn't caught or did you even know this is a problem and then here's mm -hmm. how i recommend you solving the problem wow. right and it's not <laughs> the other way it's not the other way around that's right? a, that's like an Instagram caption. Can you say that again? The, 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 the quote? <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to we'll have to rewind yeah. it. Do you do you think that? Because I just had a thought when you were saying that. You, this is so specialized, right? Like this is not simple. So there's so much like sponsor have every incentive, like you said. Let's squeeze as much juice as we can, out of out of this orange. If that means giving the sites more burden, hey, we're not experts with sites. That's why we have the CRO. They're the ones in charge. Okay, I get it. CRO says, yes, you know what? We have, they say it internally to themselves. We have every incentive to keep this study complex because it keeps us important. And we don't care if it delays study timelines because that's better for us anyways because... We just have more review. So the people, the sponsors have trusted for advice are giving them the advice they want to hear. Like, no, make that study harder. You know, why don't you throw this in there too? Well, do you think I, I there's a lot of that happening or no? Nah, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think they, I don't think anybody intends on making something harder for no reason. Right. Um, Dan, look, First of all, CROs have very limited, at least in my experience, like we don't, you know, during the, we're sending that, when you're going through an RFP process, you, you know, CROs expect sponsors to have a synopsis, 
a draft of a protocol. Yeah. Maybe you're close. Maybe you're like, so, you know, it's not like you're engaging them from the ground up to build the protocol. And we have like this, you know, again, this malintent, oh, let's make it really hard and let's delay it. But what CROs often do do, and I know we, we, we have some CRO um, folks in the, in the, in the audience right now, tell me if I'm wrong, you know, a lot of the times you, you, you know, I've only honestly had one CRO since being on the sponsor side, tell me, you know, Robert, your enrollment rate and your study assumptions are so far off that we may not be the right partner for you. I seriously was so blown away. And I just want to, like, I was like, I wish I could award this study to you because of your integrity and honesty. Like I was so mind blown that they said that to me. I'm like, oh my God, why don't more people say that? So what they do is they tell you, yeah, you know, that might be challenging, but they, they, they tell you, I yes, see. they, they, they say what they want to hear. But here's the, here's the kicker, Dan, right? And whoever's in the CRO audience right now, feel free to add in your comment. And this is friendly. We'll hit them with a change order. Uh, hit with we will hit order. them with a change order and guys change orders aren't <laughs> these are these are you know it's you know depending on the work order as soon as out of scope work reaches a budget threshold of five hundred thousand or something like that hmm. we'll hit them with a change order but in in cases of many cro's it's oh now it's a 1.2 million dollar change order oh your timelines are extended now it's another one you know 2 million dollar change order that includes all the vendors extensions we have to package more ip we have to do this we have to do that right so again you know doug is here um i think he's from kcr um you know maybe kcr doesn't do that you know maybe maybe he's one of the few but the majority of CROs will tell sponsors what they want to hear, mm. even though their enrollment expectations, enrollment rate, study assumptions are completely unrealistic. Mm. I've so only had one so that they can win it because they know. So like, then they like, are part of the. So it's, I'm kind of right. I'm kind of right. Yeah, absolutely. You are, Dan. Every CRO. And if you if you're a CRO and you think you're the only one we're reaching out to for an RFP, that's kind of silly, right? <laughs> we're we're reaching out to four or five CROs at minimum, at minimum, and and they tell you what they want to hear. They tell you what they want to hear, and and they're talking internally. And Dan, the reason I know this is because I was part of CROs, yeah. and I've been part of bid defenses, and it's oh. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll tell them yes, and then if, if we can't meet it, you know, there's always the potential for a change order. Is that is that really, like, a great way of doing it? I mean, that, that's kind of that's kind of terrible. Like, that that's what grinds my gears, right? Because now it's turning into a nickel and dime every way you shift. We're not yeah. scoped for this. Oh, you want an extra meeting? Okay, change order. Actually, Robert, I'm going to send you a change notification form, a CNF, they call it. Right. Uh, CNF, for guru, change for, for, this is a new one. Yeah. To me. Yeah. New one for the guru nation, a change notification form. By the way, we're going to add X amount of dollars. And once the change notification form threshold meets the threshold to execute a change order, then we'll hit you with the change order. And by the way, Robert, you've already signed, you know, three CNFs and we have to incorporate this now into a change order because now we're at <laughs> $1.2 million. Um, so, you know, I had a CRO, I asked them, I said, listen, uh, I would like to have a 30 minute 
ad hoc meeting with you. And, um, oh, Robert, we're not scoped for that. We're not scoped for that. Um, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you meet, do you meet internally? Do you guys meet internally to discuss what I'm talking to you about? Oh, yeah, we meet internally. How often do you meet? We meet twice a week. Well, can you send me that invite? I'd like to attend. Since you're not willing to have an ad hoc, I'll just join your meetings. Is that okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. And then there's awkward silence. Everyone's quiet. People think I got disconnected. And I just fester in the silence, Dan. After 45 seconds, somebody says, hello. I go, hello. <laughs> I'm still here. Can I join your meeting? All of a sudden, they don't want Robert in their internal meeting. Yeah. So now, now, all of a sudden, sure, Robert, we can accommodate the out-of-scope ad hoc call that you're requesting. So again, I just feel like, I just feel like, (laughs) I just feel like it's a, (laughs) we got people laughing, which I love, you know, but that's good. I mean, but my my point is, it's, it's, it's funny to me because, you know, it feels like a lot of nickel and diming happens, you know? Um, well, it's more than nickel and diming. Look at Clara, Clara Ducks. If you're not part of the solution, there is there is great money to be made prolonging the problem. Man. Brian, and if, and if Shay Renee, on, he should be if a Shea, poet. If Shay Renee is still here from Butterfly, this is exactly what I've been telling everybody about, you know, CROs are not incentivized to solve problems, you know, and I know Doug is, is, you know, I think uh, chief tech, chief IT or chief technology officer over there um, at KCR. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I need to start talking with KCR. As he a said, I wouldn't because... pay every CRO as the same as the big organizations that are geared towards simply turning the handle and making money. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're seeing like uh, even some of the CROs getting acquired, like Dermo Fisher. They're not really a sponsor. They kind of are. They do medical devices, but they're more of a conglomerate. So they they're looking for businesses, business units that generate cash on cash returns. Like Dermo Fisher is one of the best stock, one of the best uh, dividend paying stocks out there. Um, so they buy companies based and put them in their portfolio based on cash yeah. on cash returns. So they bought PPD because it's stable. All the stuff we talked about, cash on cash returns, like all the stuff we're kind of highlighting. Like this is, this is a good business to be in this uh, prolonging the problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and what I'll say, yeah, and what I'll say is, look, you know, yeah, there's not not everybody operates in this model. Right. There's always the exception to the rule. I'm not going to blanketly say this about every organization, but that's why boutique CROs, smaller CROs, and I believe KCR falls into that category, mm-hmm. has more of a pulse and seems to be much more reasonable just based on, you know, some of the comments we're seeing. Um, you know, th- this is why small is the new big, in my opinion, you know. These larger organizations are paying a tremendous, your your sponsors are paying a premium to first of all, work with them. And I can tell you again from firsthand experience that 
those people aren't always getting the A squad either, you know? And they have $500 million worth of studies going simultaneously across, you know, six different indications, six therapeutic areas, right? So just because you're a giant corporation working with a giant CRO does not mean you're going to get a phenomenal result, you know? So that's why I choose, I, I personally prefer to partner with smaller organizations where you have that close collaborative because just like Doug is saying here, repeat business is a must. Yeah, Honesty Doug's and transparency, right? The CROs that rely on a trusted relationship and work at a consultative level that relies on repeat business must be honest. Otherwise, no repeat business. Yeah. I mean, sounds simple. Let's go through some of these comments. We missed a Let's bunch go. of good ones and then see what that inspires. And thank you everyone for sticking around and Robert for staying um carol says i work for a large worked for a large pharma company that has decided it was cheaper to hire the services of a cro than to maintain the clinops within the pharmaceutical company that's that economies of scale for you um and isn't it kind of one of those things where like if the status quo because all these companies pharma they all like they're graded most of them are publicly traded, so they're graded in the context like relative to one another. Mm. So if they're all kind of doing the same thing, it's safe, right? Like it feels safe to just keep doing that same thing. Like, look, this big pharma just like they gutted their in-house ops, so they've outsourced to the CRO, so that means we should do it, right? But I wonder when that flips to where it's cheaper for them to bring it back because we might exactly. be getting close to we're, that point. We're we're almost there, Dan. We're almost there. <laughs> we're, I really believe we're almost there. But like you know, somebody made another comment earlier. Like you know, again, benefits, right? Four hundred one k matches. Yeah. Um, bonuses. You know, I'm outsourcing this. I don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff, right? You know, you're an employee. You're paying social security, while your employer is matching that same social security. You know, there's there's so many more expenses by internalizing it. But my argument to that is ROI, right? I have much more control over the result and quality and integrity of the study and the data if I internalize this. And I also have control over turnover, right? If I got one guy that has one foot out the door, you know, I can't control CRA turnover at the at a CRO, and yet sites want to start incorporating this fee and billing sponsors as a cost of doing business every time the CRA changes. I get it from a theoretical standpoint, right? I, I yeah. totally get it, but then like I had um, discussions with with the guy who's creating the the site council bill of rights. Norm Goldfarb, shout out to Norm, great guy. I mean, accolades in this industry coming from left and right. But him and I had a really long discussion about this and he's like, well, Robert, you need to charge the CROs every time they do it. And I'm like, well, CROs aren't gonna agree to that, right? And even if you have a risk share clause in there, it's such a small percentage that it's almost nominal. It doesn't even make a difference, but I don't, I cannot control whether or not a resource employed by the CRO is going to stick around for the duration of your study, Dan. 
Yeah. And if you have four, five, six turnovers and you invoice me every time as a pass-through cost for a CRA turnover because it does. It takes time for your site to retrain. It takes time for you guys to get aligned. There may be some duplication of efforts. You have to redo this. You have to redo that. They're asking you for stuff that you were never asked for in the past. You know, hmm. there's 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 cost of doing business there, right? But but then it's like as a sponsor. So now, how do I get reimbursed? Do I do I say that, you know, every time you have a staff turnover, in any core clinical team, whether it's a change in medical monitor, a data manager, a biostatistician, a startup associate, a contracts associate, every time there's turnover, do you pay me a penalty? That doesn't seem reasonable, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's everybody's working on their own volition, right? It's, it's, it's people have the right to leave. People have the right to get hired. It's a right to work, right? It's yeah. not, it's not that these people have contracts and like they're they're locked in this contract and they can't leave so you know <laughs> we're gonna get to the rest of these comments um you know what i find interesting robert and Tell this me. is what i this is what one of the things like i hate about this industry is like a lot of virtue signaling so patient centricity like yeah we've had we've been talking for an hour and 11 minutes and patients the patient experience only came up in the first five minutes when i'm justifying <laughs> why i'm taking a, a, a study when i really shouldn't like i let's be honest i shouldn't have taken that study but right. i did because i had a patient-centric mindset none of that came up in this hour and 11 minutes since and so where does that fit into this? I, from what I gather, it fits into the sites have to take care of it. You know, who, who else is going to do it? CRO, they're going to get patient centric. I know sponsors would like to, but if they don't even know how to manage their own trials, how are they going to get patient centric? Yeah, I mean, no, it's, <laughs> it's it's a good point. It's a good point, and really, patient patient centricity needs to be the forefront of all these discussions. Yeah, right? but where like does you, that fit? Because even we talk well, about even all these things like okay, protocol how do we design, make... right? You know, you got It starts with the design of the protocol, but then you have all these regulatory, you know, hurdles that prevent um, you from from giving patients the experience that we should be giving them. And then you we know? want to squeeze juice out of oranges. And we want to continue squeezing the last drop out of the out of the peel of the orange to get one more <laughs> drop. You know, it's it it's it's. Tough, I'm just man. calling it how I see it, man. Like I yeah. get it; it's a buzzword, and yeah. but the way I see it is sites are the ones responsible for executing that. Even even when our studies get harder for us to do, we need to find ways to make it more patient centric experience for our patients. Whether that means asking them, do you want food? I understand we got to do ten blood, ten tubes of blood. Can I give you something to eat after? Or just like that whole experience, because I don't see where CROs fit into it. They're gonna say, well, no, it's our ePro. Our ePro is amazing. Like, you know, <laughs> they're they're gonna love it. They're gonna love the study. Trust us, Robert. Like, <laughs> right. That's what they're selling you, and there's naive yeah. people in the pharma company that believe it. Like, oh, okay, patients love the mobile engagement, so let's give no, them more. No, you're right. 
Yeah, and, and, they love, and they love being able to choose whether or not they get their blood drawn at home or in the clinic. Like, no. Yeah. I mean, that... that... <laughs> Ten tubes at home or in the clinic? You know? Yeah, which one you are, you know? Oh, yeah. by the way, there's a four-hour arrival window, so you can't leave anywhere. You yeah, so your stay. anxiety of needles, yeah, like, you know? is longer in that. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. not going to bring you snacks. Or anything. Yeah, we'll arrive between 10 and 2, and by the way, it's somebody you've never met before that's going to come with a badge <laughs> and... Uh, show it's you the credentials man. and then they're going to leave with your well, yeah it, it really is Look, what about you know, mobile like oh patients love to be yeah. part of the journey the app is now part of the you've been sold on this bullshit before the, <laughs> let this app be part of the patient journey did you not hear that no I, I have i have i have i mean you know there's ai there's an ai app uh, i i i don't want to call out the company but no no please don't I'm not, but you know, they, they basically like hold their device up to their face when they're taking their IP and the AI can identify the, the, the product. So they hold the pill up, you know, and they're showing it to the camera and the camera says, giving them instructions. Okay. Yep. They identify it. They put it in the mouth and they're recording this. And there's like these AI triggers. And if there's any nefarious activity going on, then it sends a real time alert to a real person. And then somebody from the CRO or the site, not really sure, but calls the patient, yeah. you know, and then they review and adjudicate this video. Did the patient actually take it or not? Then you know they'll pull I mean? the plug on that patient journey. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, exactly. So real, real good journey we have going on there. <laughs> um, and no, and but then again, nine out of 10 uh, industry thought leaders think that's a great idea to enhance patient um, engagement or morale. Yeah, exactly. It really boosts their morale. Um, you know, when they're sitting there for, for five hours out of their day and they're getting a hundred bucks. So all this tech stuff, like if we can be real, I mean, give, it's just opinion. It, everybody knows patient's intricity is not like who's going to argue against it. But then when you throw in, I can sell, I can use this trend to sell my latest app that's going to monitor their face. Because now it's part of patient centricity and everybody feels like they need to invest in this. So now there's more funds. So we we're talking this whole time about where the funds are going. I mean, here's another place where it's going where it's not necessarily needed. Like, it's actually, if anything, that thing's going to make the patient experience worse. Like, 100%. why do they have another thing to do? Yeah. And now it's every day. It's no longer the thing about ePros, it's no longer every day, like, uh, when you're coming to the site, it's every day you're at home too. Yeah. I don't think that's like a better experience for patients. I agree. But Dan, how did we get here? Why did, why did a company, you know, think that that was a problem that needed to be solved, right? Are patients saying sure. And they're just taking the IP and flushing it down the toilet and saying that they're taking it. Probably less than 1% from my experiences. Yeah. Well, I think it depends on the indication, right? Yeah. I mean, psych, I, you know, it's a little like, higher. <laughs> you know, psych, like oncology patients are, you know, super, super compliant, right? Mm -hmm. They, they, they want to get better. Like they're going to, they're going to take what they want. But if you move over into the pain space, you know, um, or you move over into the psych space, um, you know, it, it gets, it gets a little challenging. So it's, it's, it's very, it's very different. Um, you know, it's, it's very different. We need so, to do a podcast just on that, deconstructing the patient journey. 
because if we want to, like, we can talk to some of our patients in studies, and yeah. we can go through this journey with them. It's not, you guys will realize it's not very pleasant, and it's not due to the site for the most part. Yeah, I mean, Dan, look, I enrolled in a clinical trial, you know, just, just for that sake. I'm like, if I'm going to be in this industry, you know, um, it was a registry study, so it wasn't like, you know, super invasive or anything, but mm -hmm. I still wanted to go through the consenting process. I still wanted to see how I was treated. I still wanted to see, does this patient stipend card work? I still wanted to see, you know, my, my phone call reminders. I still wanted to fill out an EQ 5D5L. Like I still wanted to just experience it. Right. And I got to tell you, it's, it's not pleasant. You know, it's not like you have a separate waiting area. You're still waiting. The coordinator still could be running behind, you know, the, like there's all these unpleasant aspects of the patient journey. And I think you're right. We really need to unpack it and have more roundtable discussions with more yeah. thought leaders so that, you know, things can change. See, you know? I think I think if we bring sponsors and sites together, we can actually have change. Because we're the ones, like, without sponsors, there's no study. There's no money. <laughs> and without sites, there's nothing gets done because there's no patience. Everything yeah. else needs to, like, step away and just have a, a, a place, a forum, where these two stakeholders can simplify things. Like, like, like Jesse's saying, um, relatively new, this question might be done, but if by cutting out massive expenses spent on CRO services... Would this cut in cost be reflective on the cost of the investigation of product? I asked because if we're talking about patient centricity, cost of medication should also be one of the top factors when discussing clinical research costs. It's a fair question. It's not. It's 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 not dumb at all. Actually, um, you know, the, the the short answer is maybe, right? I mean, it might impact the end the end cost, but you know, that's one thing is. Um, the cost of development from identification of a, of, of a compound from preclinical through IND phase one, two, three, post-market surveillance phase four, you know, it could be on the order of billions mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know? And so all of that goes into, um, you know, recovering the cost of innovation, innovation you know? Yeah. And, I think and, if like sponsors, I, I doubt they're going to cut the price of the drug, but what it is going to do is allow them to get their drugs approved or fail faster so they can do more. So as a society, collectively, we get access to better treatment. I mean, I talked about lisinopril. Like, I'm glad I have that. I'm glad it went through this process and I'm able to take it to keep my BP down for when you guys piss me off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's not necessarily like it's not as black and white as cutting costs here and then it's going to be reflected in lower drug costs. That'd be nice, but we don't live in fairy tale. Like, but what it can do is create more, better, faster, eventually just more. And then when they go generic, they get cheaper. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there's another question there, Dan, from Jesse. Um, Jesse, you wanna, where you at, Jesse? Wanna... Oh, yeah, question for Rob. If we fast forward around 10 to 20 years from now and CROs are a thing of the past, thus cutting down clinical trial costs, 
can sites and patients trust that pharma companies won't keep approved investigational product? <laughs> yeah, as well, we're just talking about keep approved drug costs high, or are these costs a direct reflection of the money put into the process? Well, you know, I, 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 it's a good question, but I don't know. Um, I think, you know, CROs definitely have their place. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. Things are just from an inflation perspective and cost of doing business and operational costing. It's just, you know, the way that drugs are priced. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, there's a lot of discussions with insurers, with CMS. Um, you know, you have to do a lot of commercial research. You know, you get a target. It's called a TPP, a target product profile. You have discussions with, um, you know, key therapeutic leaders that that predicate the likelihood of the uptake what is the appetite for providers to prescribe this medication is it first in class is it top line treatment you know there's a lot of variables uh jesse to answer your question um i don't think any pharma company you know intends to make their high their, their costs so high that it's out of reach where it can't get into the patient's hands who needs it I mean, if you look at AbbVie, for example, they provide, you know, tremendous um, cost savings for as little as $5 a month for their newest biologics. Um, so I don't think that, you know, companies are out there to, you know, keep things high, but at the same time, the public has to understand the cost that it takes to bring these therapies to market. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily large amounts of money and that does drive the price of the drug, but I wouldn't say it's the only variable, right? How rare is the disease? What is the appetite for it to be first line? How often will it be prescribed? If it's a rare disease and a thousand people in the world or a hundred thousand people in the world have this disorder, you know, um, the likelihood of, you know, patients getting their hands on it. Like, you know, um, I can't remember what drug just got approved, but it had like a multi-million dollar price tag. Dan, do you, do you recall which drug I'm talking about? Was it an Alzheimer's one? No, there it was, was a, it was it was a, it was it was a gene therapy drug. It was oh, like okay. it, it was a crazy. I think it was for alpha thalassemia, if I'm not wrong. Oh, like um, uh, CRISPR. What's the other one that's not CRISPR? Bluebird Bio. Yeah, so exactly something like that, where like the treatment was like you know multi million yeah. of dollars. Well, that's for, CRISPR. For, that's CRISPR technology. But that's what I'm saying, guys. But that'll get cheaper over time, though. Over that's time, but that's that's that innovation, right? Yeah, that's that yeah. innovation that you just. You know, it didn't, all this innovation didn't come from anywhere. Like the man hours, the millions and perhaps mm -hmm. billions of dollars that went into the fact that a physician can actually, you know, recommend, prescribe this, this treatment for a patient. It's astronomical. It's astronomical. So I don't think, you know, th there's a lot of, you know, theories out there that people in companies drive prices so high that it's it's just not feasible it's not you know and then they say oh well, america has the highest drug prices out of compare comparative to you know canada and other um you know neighboring countries around the world um 
I'm not really sure the reason for that, right? But you have to look at the cost of development and the cost of innovation. That that really drives the the pricing. There's a lot of reasons. There's one of them is we're somehow we're subsidizing the rest of the world's drug costs by having them there. I don't want to get canceled again. Um, yeah, but there not. are like it's complex. It, it <laughs> it's complex. Very but complex. I I agree with uh, Doctor Gonzalez. The way I she says the way I see it is that the money saved can be invested in new treatments that could be developed that would benefit more patients. I kind of agree to you. I mean, we would all love to see drug drug prices come down. But we we have to realize these people are these companies are creating important products that improve quality of life, increase lifespan. We want to give them incentives to continue doing it. So, like I don't live in a fairy tale land. I I know right. it's for profit. And that and, and that income it. and that income is not only returned to the shareholder, but it's also reinvested in further clinical development of That's additional right. therapies. Right. So it's not. It's not just going into the pockets and people aren't just buying yachts and private jets and living on islands. No, they're doing that too, though. You know? But well, they deserve yeah. it. But, they you know, a very small percentage, Dan, right? I yeah. mean, you know, compared – if you look at it, those large – I mean, you know, there's there's only a couple people up in the C-suite that are making yeah. <laughs> that yeah. kind of money, right? Yeah. But anyways, this was a good chat. It um, was. Robert, uh, we got to do more. But, yep. you know, it's just like – I'm I'm fed up with like um, not calling it like talking around topics. I see it all the time on my news feed. I want to vomit. Like, yeah, just discuss the real thing. Like at these for-profit conferences, they're not gonna have these discussions because guess sure. why? The people that are sponsoring them are the ones that are there. They're the ones we're talking about. Man, are so, they making bank? I'm just saying. Like you know, for for me, like you know, I'm not disparaging anything, but you know. The, the most recent conference that happened, it was nothing but a giant biz dev conference, right? Was it the mouthwash one? It was. <laughs> it was, as a matter of fact. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it's every, like, like, just like Brad said, it's a bunch of people just trying to sell each other their tech, you know? And uh, I get it's it. It's what it's boiled down know? to. Patient centricity is, yeah. is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh, we're going to, this is going to enhance patient outcomes no it's not we've seen yeah. it. if anything what is good me buying them a sandwich when they have to sit here for their blood draws more patient-centric and very low-tech than any of this shit that they're talking about out there guaranteed yeah no, I, I agree with you man i agree with you we need more honest roundtable discussions like doug said mm -hmm. um and you know we, we really got to put the patients back in the forefront and we've got to ease the regulatory burdens you know, we've got to we've got to just ease it. It's it's just overly complicated for for no good reason. But again, I think it's all driven by dollar signs, dollar dollar dollar. You know, like that's the way it said, is. She yep. came out at Super Bowl. Better have my money. Yeah. First song she came out with. <laughs> exactly. I noticed exactly. that. Um, good choice of first song too. I th obviously I'm a site advocate. I own a site. What else would I be? I do think these companies that try to empower the site, this is why I love Viva as a sponsor. Their goal is to empower sites. Let's empower sites. We could get, you know, we can build the sponsors. If, if we empower sites and make their lives easier, we're going to get paid on our end. So if we have more vendors like putting sites first, getting site centric, we already established they can't, these people can't get patient centric. So let's at least get site centric and let the sites get patient centric. That's basically 
my entire argument for most of these type of videos that we do. Yeah. And I hope one day that, you know, sponsors, CROs, sites can all get together and build clinical development strategies and programs from a patient-centric point of view and a site-centric point of view because that will just increase satisfaction all around. Um, but we got to get the regulators involved um, in these discussions as well to allow us to get to that point, you know, really – um, strategy, strategic development, clinical development, um, it all it all should be around um, patient centricity. So until we we can have a conference to get these uh, stakeholders in the room and actually have real meaningful conversation versus going places and trying to sell other execs <laughs> their tech and their inventions, um, you know we're we're gonna be we're going to be like we have been, you know, this has been a stack. I mean, look at the hurdles it took just to get EDC adopted, you know, my goodness, you know, paper CRFs, triplicates, you'd go to the site, monitor, take the top copy home with you, leave one I on the site, that. leave it. You know what I mean? Like, but it took forever just to get EDC adopted, right? Like we yeah. got, we, we've got to break down the barriers to advancing everything. Otherwise therapies that should be reaching patients just won't get there. They won't get yeah. there. Well, thank you, Robert. Everybody right, go follow him. If you're listening later to the podcast, his LinkedIn profile is underneath. And on YouTube, when you're watching this, <laughs> yay, I'm out of YouTube jail. So thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you, Robert. It was a lot of fun, man. And My we pleasure, can man. And we do this longer. But yep. have a good one, everybody. All right, man. You too, guys. Peace out.